Uh, We have been in a series called Measure by the Manger in this Advent season. We have been looking at the manger, and yes, we have been enjoying the story. We've been reminding ourselves of how God sent his son as a baby, laid in a manger, born of the Virgin Mary. But as we engage in this series, we've been looking at the manger and, and asking the question, what does the manger tell us about who God is? What are some things that we could learn about God's nature, uh, what, what, his attributes, what is God like? And we can learn some things. What we've learned is that God's not in a hurry. Uh, Paul, in the book of Galatians, Brian told us so well early on in this series that at just the right time, God sent his son. God's not in a rush. He knows just when to act. We talked about for us that we, we need to engage in our waiting times. And at just the right time, God will open doors for us. God will answer prayers for us. And then last week, we talked about humility, how God sent his son, not with flash and pizzazz, like uh, like it's the opening ceremony of the Olympics. He, He sent his son to be born to peasant parents, laid in a manger, embodying poverty, really. God humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And we talked last week about how God is attracted to pride that he esteems, he admires those who embrace humility. And this, this week, I want to talk to you about the, the word generous. This is another word that describes God so well. He is, a, he is a mind-blowing, generous God, more generous than you and I could ever imagine. And what I want to do is sort of help you get a picture of that. I want to show you a video that I think embodies a generous spirit. The the video has gone viral, which, by the way, that's a good thing. The video goes viral. A lot of people have seen it. Over 20 million people have seen this video. It's a video that's produced by a company called WestJet. It's an airline company in Canada, which proves that there are good things that happen in Canada. All right? In case you're wondering, uh, that WestJet, well, here's what's going on. Two flights going from Toronto to Calgary, Alberta, and as people are checking in, they have to take their boarding pass to this large screen and have it scanned uh, there, and as it's scanned, Santa appears on the screen and begins asking passengers what they want for Christmas, and the passengers are a little bit surprised by this. Uh, little kids are telling Santa what they want for Christmas. We got grown-ups who are telling Santa what they want for Christmas, and uh, little do they know that when they get to Calgary and they're waiting for their bags to to come down on the turnstile, there, uh, little do they know the surprise that's waiting for them. Let the video tell the rest of the story. Enjoy this. Christmas this year, Cohen. A choo-choo train? Ho, ho, ho! A classic! Do you like Thomas? What would Mommy and Daddy like for, for Christmas? Big TV. Yeah, big TV. Ho, ho, ho! A big TV! You're looking fabulous! Oh, I need to. It's okay if you just want to stare at me as well. <laughs> what I need is uh, new socks and underwear. An Android tablet. Is that William beside you? And Cameron? <laughs> Some Santa boots. While the guests told their Christmas wishes to good old St. Nick, West Jetters took notes and got ready to shop quick. 
It was a great rush with the two flights in the air to get all those presents. Not a moment to spare. The same balls ringing, those children singing tonight. The lights are bright, I know it's a beautiful sight. There's no flags on the road, it's snowy and white. Santa's coming to town, and it's coming tonight. Hey, Thomas, let's get it. Christmas cheer and celebration. WestJet, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of your flight. Happy faces were all so merry and bright. And Santa's coming to town, Everything ready. We all had to wait for the moment of truth at Carousel Eight. Of Saint Nick would actually appear. It was all quite a trick. A Westjetter would say it was more than mere fun. Miracles do happen when we all work as one. We'll give Santa the last word on this most special night. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good flight. <laughs> Is that not awesome? All right, moment of truth. Who cried? Who cried? I got some criers in the room. It's just moving, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that generosity does, does, does move you. And, um, and it's just it's so cool to see a company like that do something so generous. And I know that there are a few of you inside, you're going, oh, yeah, bah humbug. It's a publicity stunt. They're just trying to get more money for their company. And uh, interestingly enough, November 21st is when that, uh, that event took place. Uh, WestJet has not seen a surge in sales uh, at their company. But what they have seen is a surge in employment applications. 
people want to work for a place like that that embodies a generous spirit. We are drawn to people who are generous, not not because of what we'll get. We're drawn to people who embody a generous spirit because there's something that's infectious about them. There's something that, that is magnetic about them. We love to be around people who ooze genuine and authentic love, mercy, compassion. We just we like to be around people like that. We don't want to be around people who are a piece of work, right? Who drain us. We love to be around people who embody a spirit of generosity. We're drawn to that. And I would say to you that when you see that in someone, what you are seeing is people, men and women, who are made in the image of God. God's mark is on us. And when you see generosity, what you are seeing, you are seeing God's mark on humanity. Our God is a generous God. Beyond imagination, the scripture writers have been trying to tell us this for for decades, for centuries, for millennia. The psalmist writes in Psalm 116, verse 5, how kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. Psalm 31, verse 19, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection. Blessing them before the watching world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is love. He isn't only loving, he is love. He's the definition of love. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Uh, I want to read these words to you from the, the message paraphrase. Would you allow your spirit to feel the full-embodied, robust generosity of our God to those who are in his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. This is your God. He is generous beyond measure. As we look at the manger and as we we remember a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, As we remember Christmas, the day that God's son arrived, we remember that our God is generous. And we, we want to become like Christ. Again, we said this last week, Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't allow yourself to get squeezed in, pressed into the mold, the pattern of of how our world lives, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which means, look at who Jesus is, and by his Spirit's power and presence in you, become, be transformed, become generous. And many of you have seized opportunities to be generous, but there's something about us that when we're prompted or we see someone in need, there's another voice that we hear. We hear a voice in us that questions the legitimacy of someone's need. 
Or we question whether th- that I can really let go of these resources or, or should I be, be kind? Uh, there's this voice that we hear and I just want to put a face to it. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. And he lives close by and he whispers in our ears, Scrooge, if you don't know, Scrooge is the character that appears in Dickens' tale, the, uh, the Christmas Carol. Uh, Charles Dickens, uh, he defines uh, uh, Scrooge this way. He says, the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and he spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. His last name has come into the English language as a byword for someone who is stingy, miserable, and just flat out grumpy. It's a Scrooge. And when it comes to this whole idea of embodying the spirit of generosity, uh, there's that voice of Scrooge in us that that wants us to hold back. And and maybe these are some of the things you, you, you might hear. Here's a few ideas. Scrooge might whisper, give people what they deserve, which, by the way, is nothing. I mean, you've worked hard. It's been your effort. It's been your sweat. It's been your investment that has made it possible for you to have what you have. Why should you give to someone who, who won't work as hard? I mean, why should, maybe, maybe they're lazy, maybe they're slothful, and, 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 and that would, you get what you deserve. Why should I be kind to that person when they're so rude to me? I mean, I, you reap what you sow. It's in the book, you know. Give people what they deserve, which frankly is not much. Maybe that's something you hear whispered into your ear, or maybe it's the second one here. Compare yourself only to people who have more than you. There's something about us that, you know, as blessed as we are, we're always looking to what's next or what's, what's, what's more. And, um, uh, and there's something in us that, that, that doesn't help us. We just can't see how, how, how blessed we are compared perhaps to others who don't have as much. Interesting study by an MIT professor. He does a study and he, uh, he studies the happiness levels, the happiness levels of Olympic medalists. This winter, you'll, you, many of you watch the Winter Olympics. If you win your event and you're first, you get the gold, second, silver, third, bronze, fourth. Thanks for being here. Have a great time. <laughs> this MIT professor does this study and to find out who's the happiest when they stand on the podium. Asks a bunch of questions. And what, they, what this MIT professor discovers is who's the happiest. It's the gold medal winner. The gold medal winner is the happiest because they've achieved, they've hit their goals, they won, their flag goes up, their national anthem is played, it's a proud moment, they, they, they're so happy. Who's the second happiest person on that Olympic stand? Not the silver medalist, it's the bronze medalist. The bronze, why is the bronze medalist happy, the second happiest? Because they realize that the fourth place person got nothing, and they, they just barely, maybe they just eked it out, and they got third. They're just, they're just grateful to be on the platform. Some of you may remember that, uh, that not long ago, there was a, a medal ceremony at a certain Olympics. A gymnast was not, was not uh, gold or bronze, was a silver medalist, who happens to be also, the, the, in the study, the least happy of all the medalists at the Olympics. The silver medalist is the least happy. Why? Who are they comparing themselves to? The gold medalists. If I had just been two hundredths of a second faster, I'd be wearing the gold. If I just jumped a little farther, jumped a little higher, thrown a little farther, 
guy would have had the gold. Maybe they lost by an inch. Maybe they lost by a hundredth of a second. And there's something about them that's just like, oh, I was so close. Some of you may remember that, that Olympic medalist, the silver medalist, who had that smirk on her face because she wasn't the gold medal winner. What is it about us that we can't rejoice in the fact that we won a medal? I'll tell you what it is. It's this four-letter word. Kids, plug your ears. It's the word more. We, we see on a shampoo bottle 25% more, and our heart beats a little bit faster. <laughs> Marketers are very wise in this. They pitch their, their, their product to us, and they say, but wait, there's more, oh, more. There's something about that word that just like, tell me more, tell me more. We, we compare ourselves not, we're like the silver medalists. We don't compare ourselves to bronze or fourth place or fifth place. We're always thinking about, ah, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. That's exactly what Scrooge would say to you. Third thing he would say to you is this, tell yourself that you don't have a greed problem. Donald Trump has a greed problem. Bernie Madoff has a greed problem. I don't have a greed problem. A gr- greed is a problem for very wealthy people. It's not, it's not, you know, I don't make that much money. I couldn't have a greed problem. Well, then why would Jesus pull his 12 disciples aside who really didn't have much, pull them aside and say to them, beware of all kinds of greed? Friends, every one of us, doesn't matter what you make or don't make, are confronted by greed. If you were here this summer and you were here for a series that we, we did called In God We Trust, I told you that I, I, I surveyed pastors on staff, many pastors here on staff. I called other churches to survey pastors from other churches and I asked them, in your, in your years of service and in, in the years of pastoral ministry, if you added them all up, it's well over 100 years of pastoral ministry. I asked these pastors, in your years of service, has anyone ever called you and said, I'd like to set up an appointment to talk about my problem of greed? Not once. Uh, marriage issues, of course. You know, parenting, yeah, of course. Uh, issues with the discouragement or depression, yeah, that, that, that happens. D- huge decisions I want to make, yeah, of course. It's the one, perhaps the one sin we're all blind to. Me? Greed problem? <laughs> that's Trump. That's, that's wealthy people. Here's the fourth thing that Scrooge might whisper in your ear. There is such a thing as enough, but you just don't have it yet. Now, that, that's some things that, that Scrooge might whisper to you. And if you've seen the Christmas carol, you know in the beginning of that, of that story that, uh, that, that Scrooge is this grumpy guy, this miserable guy who, who sort of just, uh, you know, just everyone sort of wants to be away from. And, uh, and yet he has this moment of transformation. He has this redemption moment. He is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past and the ghosts of Christmas present, the ghosts of Christmas future, and it, it, it changes his heart. He goes from stingy and greedy to generous and giving. And his transformation surprises people. I want to show you a short little clip from an older version of the Christmas Carol. Remember the, the character Bob Cratchit? Cratchit is an employee of Scrooge's. And uh, Cratchit shows up to work one day a little bit late. 
And he is expecting to encounter a bit of a barrage from Scrooge. But what he, he sees, this, this transformation in Scrooge, uh, Scrooge just surprises him. In fact, it leaves him speechless. Hatchet, you're late. Sir, what do you mean by coming in here at this time of day? Hmm? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time, sir. <laughs> you are indeed. Step this way, Mr. Cratchit, please. It's only once a year, sir. It won't be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Well, we won't beat about the bush, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. Which leaves me no alternative but to raise your salary. <laughs> I haven't taken leave of my senses, Bob. I've come to them. From now on, I want to try to help you to raise that family of yours. If you'll let me. Well, we'll, we'll talk it over later, Bob, over a, over a bowl of hot punch. Hmm? <laughs> Meanwhile, you, you just go and put some more coal in that fire. And you go straight out and buy a new coal scuttle. Isn't you do that before you dot another I, Bob Cratchit? <laughs> <laughs> gets into this giggle fest and uh, he's just transformed and he's found so much joy in uh, generosity. Now it's going to take a little while to convince Bob Cratchit that this transformation has taken place but uh, let me just toss some ideas of you what a redeemed Scrooge would say. In fact, I would say these are things that Christ would say to, to you and to me and the first thing is this. He would say when it comes to generosity, pursue the good life. Now that might sound kind of odd. Pursue the good life? What are you talking about? Isn't that bad? Well, depends what the good life is, right? I think what's happened, I know what's happened in our culture, is we've misidentified what the good life is. We think the good life is more. We think it's acquisition and accumulation getting our way. But what Jesus teaches us, Luke records these words in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus says these words. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and what he doesn't say in this, in this passage, he doesn't say it's better to give than receive. He doesn't even say you ought to give rather than receive. He says this, you're more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed is a biblical word that defines the good life. The good life is experienced, the entry point, the, ent- the gate into the good life is generosity. 
That's, I mean, you, you see in that little clip, I mean, Scrooge, he's, he's coming alive. And my guess is that when you have been generous, when you've had those moments where you responded to people, you've been like, like, like God the Father, you've had those moments where you've, you've acted generously or you've been kind or you've been loving, there's something in you that comes alive. It feels good. I remember that the, the first time I ever gave a, a gift to my, my family, my parents, at Christmas time. Um, I was a fifth grader. I was coming back from boarding school, and my dorm parents encouraged us to do something for our parents for Christmas, to wrap gifts. And so we did. I, I, uh, I made a necklace for my mother. I made a necklace out of cloves. You, you know, the kind of clothes you stick in a ham. Yeah, she, I'm sure she was delighted. And she got, I made this necklace of cloves, and then I took 75 cents, and I, wa- I went and bought a pen for my dad, the kind of pen that you have to dip, uh, dip in an inkwell to write with. Um, and I wrapped them up, and I, was just, I could not wait for my parents to open their present on Christmas. And when mom tore the paper back and she had that clove necklace, I have no idea what was going through her mind. Uh, she put it around her neck. Maybe she was thinking, oh, great, I'm a Christmas ham. Give me some pineapple. <laughs> but she had a smile on her face and she, she beamed gratitude to me. And my dad opened up his present and it was a, a pen and he's dipping it in the ink well and he writes me a note expressing thanks. And there was something in me that just enjoyed giving. It, it did something to my heart. The wisdom writer in the Proverbs captures this perfectly. The wisdom writer says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Ever experienced that? And I love how the wisdom writer here defines a generous person. It's the person who refreshes others. Again, it's not just giving stuff or money. That's a very small part of generosity. It's refreshing people. A generous spirit refreshes others. They are a generous person, and they themselves are refreshed. It's, it's pursuing the good life, and there's something that comes, something that's awakened in our soul when we're like our Father, the one who's, in whose image we're made. Uh, so that would be one thing that Scrooge or, uh, or might, might, the redeemed Scrooge might whisper in your ear. The second thing would be this remember the poor. There is something unusual that happens when you care for the poor. And what you're doing is you are aligning your heart with God's. Again, the wisdom writer from the book of Proverbs uh, helps us understand this. It says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Get this. When you gift the poor, you are actually making a loan to God, and he will take care of you. And on this point of remembering the poor, I just got to say, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you do this so well. Sam Lance, you, you have a heart for the poor. You have done this over the years. You have fed, you have clothed, you have provided shelter, you have been generous in this Advent season. If you remember, we had, we had folks from Grant Community School up here talking to us, and you could support uh, families by buying gifts uh, for their kids, and, and you did, at the end of the 930 service, they ran out of ideas for kids, they had to go back and get more, and you took care of all those. Here's a picture on the screen of all those gifts piled up at Grant Community School. This next picture is a picture of Ralph, April, Steve Dangaren, who's our version of Santa Claus from Sam Alliance. Two, a couple kids there. You blessed the neighbors 
You blessed our neighbor. You took care of the poor. And I'm, can I just say to you, well done, Sam Alliance. You, as you remember the poor, you were you are loaning God. See, there's something about generosity. It, the unredeemed part of us is, ah, am I going to be taken care of? Hey, when you loan, when you make a loan to God, I think he's good for it. Remember the poor. Here's the last thing I'd say to you. Grow your love for people. Grow your love for people. What prompted a baby to be born in a manger? It was love. For God so loved the world. That's you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God didn't save us with gold or silver, what Peter writes in one of his epistles. He saved us by giving what was most precious to him, his son. And from the cradle to a cross, this precious gift has been given to us, all prompted by love. Amy Carmichael, a voice from the past, says, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. So that's why I say, don't necessarily start with giving. Start with loving. Start loving people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what will quickly fall behind that is a generous spirit. You will become like your father. Uh, 1995, a, a, an 85-year-old woman was trying to figure out what to do with her estate. She uh, lived in Mississippi, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and she, uh, she washed people's laundry in her bathtub. She had no husband. She had no children. She had a very uh, simplistic approach to life. And all through the years, she had saved uh, from this, this job that she had, uh, of washing people's clothes. In 1995, she had saved $250,000. She was 85 years old, had recently been diagnosed with cancer. Her name is Osceola McCarty. Here's a picture on the screen. Osceola McCarty is sitting across from a lawyer in a financial planner trying to figure out what to do with her estate because she has no family. Uh, the, the financial planner comes up with a great idea. Puts 10 dimes on the desk in front of her. Tells her, here's 10 envelopes. Take a dime, which represents 10% of your estate, put it in an envelope, and just write on the envelope who it should go to. So McCarty takes the first dime, puts it in an envelope, writes the name of her church, and puts it over here. Takes the next three dimes, puts the names of three distant cousins that she has. And she slides over the side. She's got six dimes left. She takes all six dimes, puts it in one envelope, and writes on the front of it, Southern Mississippi University. She makes a don't. She sets up a scholarship fund at Southern Mississippi University for underprivileged kids who can't afford an education. When the news of this gets out back in 95, and just think about how non-existent social media was in 95, okay? When the news gets out, her name hits the, hits the headlines. In fact, she becomes, she is the, this is the largest gift ever given to an educational institution by an African-American woman. And she, makes, she, gets, she gets so much notoriety that she's invited to the White House. And she's just escorted around the, 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 the White House for, uh, for a weekend. And then, get this, she gets an honorary doctorate 
from Harvard University. Harvard? A doctorate? That's pretty awesome. And she gets it simply because she, she lived a simple life and, and, and saved and gave it away to help others. And not only did she get a trip to the White House, not only did she get an honorary doctorate from Harvard, she was then selected to carry the Olympic torch at the Olympics that were coming up. Osceola McCarty died at age 91, a very happy, joyful woman who loved to be generous. Her generosity actually caught the attention of Ted Turner, media mogul. Turner wrote a check for $1 billion and gave it to the United Nations. Let me ask you this. We asked a question last week about pride. How does, how does pride most manifest itself in my life? Here's a question you could ask a couple people who love you and will be honest with you. As we've been looking at the manger and talking about a God, three words that come to mind, waiting, humble, generous. What if you asked a friend, someone who loved you, this question, when you think of three words, when you, when you think about me, what three words come to mind? And as you listen to those three words, if we were to put a scale up here between Scrooge and McCarty, which way does the needle lean? Generous spirit or tight-fisted, cold-hearted, stingy? We have a God who prompted by his love for you and for me, for us, gave his best, gave his son. Would you hear the words of that story once again. You know it so well. It's the Christmas story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus. 